How the hell you been, man? Doing stuff and things. Stuff and things. You've got Foley coming up pretty soon, don't you? Yes, Foley. Foley, Alabama, the home of the first 3D archery event of the season. Looking forward to it? Um, sure. Don't really want to go anywhere right now, but sure. It's going to be nice weather from what I saw this week. Yeah, Foley's nice. Foley's a really nice place. Uh, it'll be fun to shoot outside, you know. So, you know, I've never been to Foley. Uh, in fact, I've never set foot in the state of Alabama, as far as I can recall. And I looked it up on the map this morning just to see where it was. It's right there on the coast. It actually looks like a terrific place. Yeah, it is a terrific place. So I just don't like, I don't want to travel right now. It's one of those no, scenarios. That I get. I'm a little, uh, I'm a little wiped out just from stuff and things. Yeah, well, without getting into anything that's going to violate your uh, personal rights as far as your health care is concerned, let's just say that you were a little under the weather after Vegas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wasn't as bad as the first time I was a little under the weather, but, you know. Yeah, but, you, you know. tired, I'm, man. I'm just tired. That's understandable, Steve. You know, it is. That's not stopping you, though, from setting up a bow to, oh, by the way, this is Eastern Target Podcast 171. I'm George Tekmachev here with Steve the Big Cat Anderson, and uh, we're going to talk about a few things, including uh, following through on our Ask Us Anything episode. Um, did you know, Steve, that the Ask Us Anything episode that we did in November of 2021 was by something on the order of 40% more popular than almost any other episode we've done in the past few years? No, I did not know. I didn't either. You know, the old um, social media slash analytics that we have access to had shown us at one point that when we started answering listener questions, listenership would drop off. And yet, shows directed to listener questions are among the most popular. Go figure. I wouldn't figure. It seems fickle to me, doesn't it? I mean, fickle on the part of either the analysis or the listeners. I can't tell which. Maybe it's like, hey, show's over. Now we're going to do this versus this is the show. Yeah, yeah, you're right. There might be something to that. But anyway, you're headed to Foley and you've got a rig set up for, are you shooting the known distance? Is it K50? Known 50? Uh, known Pro. Known Pro. So is it not limited to 50 anymore or is it It's still 50? limited to 50, but they do have a known 50 category as well that's amateur. Now, do they tell you the distance when you step up to the stake or do you have to- No, you range it, use your own range finder. Okay. And is it odd distances sometimes? Um, like 43 as opposed to say a round number? Yeah, they just put it out. So it's just like whatever, you know? All right. So it's somewhere inside 50, but you don't know exactly how far. So you range find it and then go for those uh, 12 rings, I presume. Yeah. going to shoot at the 12 rings. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Like uh, you hear these people talk about, they, they like to use the term course management and in known pro, there's no such thing as course management. You shoot at all the 12 rings. You may uh, favor a side of the 12 ring, you know, but you have to shoot at them. Versus in some of the other categories, they're they're totally happy with stepping up, taking their 10 and moving on. You know, and you, you just can't do that now with you have to assume you need to be about 46 up on the weekend to make the shoot off for known pro. So 
That means you've got to hit uh, 23 of the 40 targets, right? You got to shoot 12 on 23 of the 40 targets and shoot no eights. Um, let's say you throw an eight. So now you assume you've got to hit 24 of them. So 60%, you got to hit 60% in the 12 ring. Pretty tough ask. It's hard. It's a hard game. And there's a lot of guys who are capable and on any given weekend, you might get about 10 who just really run with it. You know, about how big is that 12 ring, Steve? I don't even know. I think it's an inch and a half or maybe a little more. I, I couldn't tell you. So not real big it's like a, size, like a feet of 10 ring at, uh, on a 40 centimeter face kind of thing. It's a little bigger than a Vegas 10. I want to say, um, yeah, I, I could Google it, I guess. No, I, I'm sure that, uh, the people that care will, will know. And the people that don't won't bother. <laughs> this is the target archery podcast, not the 3d one after all. Well, uh, let's look here. I'm, I want to find the answer now. Okay. Some moments later, 1.63 inches is 4.13 centimeters. So it's 4.13 centimeters. Like you said, just a skosh bigger than a feet of 10 ring on a 40 centimeter indoor face or Vegas face. Correct. Yep. And you're shooting it, you know, 50 yards you need to, and sometimes those targets get out to 51, 50, whatever. So you, so you've got to aim at it and hit it. Fat arrows tend to be the order of the day for this sort of thing, for the most part, do you think? Like uh, Super Drive 27, tw- Super Drive 23? The 25 is probably the most popular at an event like that. Because you get some um, tunability you, with that. Yeah, you do see some of the guys with a little more horsepower shooting a 27. You see some people who want a little more speed shooting a 23. But uh, the 25 is a real nice blend of both. Nice blend right. of speed and diameter. Right. So from that perspective, I think that uh, it is pretty clear that, you know, you're not going to have a ranging issue so much um, as you do in regular 3D, where you have to really be able to dial it in using a variety of methods. But there's still advantages to having a faster arrow for the outdoor situation. And not being that far from the coast, does it tend to be a little bit windy at Foley or are you sort of in a protected woody area the way it works out? Foley, in my experience, is the the windiest of all and we've had multiple ranges we've shot on that were you know some were more covered but out there it's it's uh it's pretty open i would say and yeah it does it's like a lot of the weather there kind of reminds me of san diego Um, uh yeah morning you know hazy and kind of calm and then it just picks up throughout the day that makes sense. I mean, you know, if you look at it from the standpoint of where, you know, the Olympic Training Center in Chula Vista is uh, relative to the coast, I suppose the venue in Foley is not that much different. Of course, it's, you know, um, I guess the coast is south of Foley versus to the west of San Diego. But still, right. you get that sort of a sea breeze kind of situation, I imagine. Yeah, you do. So a lot of people are going to opt for a smaller arrow in Foley. Um you know, a lot of people ask about the SuperDrive Micro, which is not ready yet, fortunately, but uh, would have been a popular one there in Foley, I do believe. SuperDrive Micro is a micro diameter, all carbon shaft, and it, it's going to have a special place in the line, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, very fast, you know, lightweight, four millimeter carbon. So really a good solution all around for this kind of thing and a reasonable price, too, from what I understand. 
yeah, I don't remember the exact like retail price, and I don't like to even quote that because we don't set that. But it, no, but but less less than say yeah, less than say an AC arrow. Um, yeah, less you know, than with, Pro Comp. With a lot of the benefits, um, you know, because of its special construction, it's very strong, and uh, I think it's going to be very accurate from the standpoint of shaft to shaft consistency, based upon the specifications you guys have set. And lightweight got used for a lot of things. It's like, it's a good general purpose uh, outdoor arrow, really, so. Yeah, and it'll have application for recurve as well as for compound in the future when it becomes yeah. available. You know, I just checked Lancaster. Lancaster's got it for 180, that's the price. Okay, so there's a there's a uh, US price level. It gives you a relative price point. That means it comes in cheaper than say a pro comp. Right. Right, so. Good stuff coming from Easton in the next few months as those shafts start to flow through the system and uh, and more and more of those super drive lineup. Um, you know, that's really become a full lineup in itself and has become a full, you know, from uh, the ultimate indoor era, as was proven in Vegas earlier this year. Um, and also from the standpoint of outdoor competition, um, I think it's a very compelling lineup that you guys have put together. It is compelling. I am compelled. <laughs> All right, moving on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there is going to be some editing. Happening? There, there will be editing work in this uh, in this podcast, trust me. <laughs> what else is happening? Well, it's a quiet time of year, right? Because we're kind of in the lull between uh, major indoor events and getting ready for outdoor events like the one you're headed to, right? The next major indoor event on the horizon from the standpoint of the U.S. is, of course, the NFAA Indoor Nationals, which is taking place in about four weeks or so in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And that'll be the last of the major indoor events. Meanwhile, the USA Archery um, continues its Indoor Nationals, basically the mail match where you have 30-something locations for Indoor Nationals. Have you shot that here in Salt Lake City yet, or has that come up yet? Is that... Uh, that's this weekend, so I am going to miss that one. So that's uh, <laughs> in Salt Lake. That is this weekend at the Easton Archery Center, not far away from the Easton Factory. Um, there have been other locations available for it for the last few weeks, and uh, there will be a couple more in the next couple of weeks before that all wraps up. You can think of it as sort of an indoor series circuit without having a circuit. But as we spoke with uh, Rod Menzer in a previous podcast, Pretty big prize package for this year's Indoor National Finals, where USA Archery will be bringing everybody into the uh, venue in Louisville and having a separate tournament for the purpose of crowning the ultimate U.S. Indoor champion from that. I think that's a pretty good system, and they've got a reasonably good prize package for it, too. Yeah, there's uh, not, not a matter of the total winnings, but you, know, you, you win that event, you're making some good shackles. Yeah, especially for USA Archery. I think it's 10K for the top placements. Um, you know, yeah, like it was world. like eight or 10 or something like that. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah, pretty good like, money that didn't used to be there. Yes. And like world archery, USA Archery has equal payouts by gender. So, the women's championship is worth the same as the men's championship. Of course, this is all subsidized by sponsors and everything else. And that's what makes it possible. You know, the reason Vegas doesn't have equity. Um, well, it does now because it's open, right? But in the past, when it was the men's championship, that's because there were five times more men than women and therefore five times more paying in. Now it's open. So in theory, 
uh, with Vegas, you've got uh, anybody can win it. Sarah Lopez, uh, Lico Areola, any of these people can go in there and stand toe to toe with the men if they so choose. You know, there were three people in two categories who never missed the X ring in X ring scoring when they shot an arrow that made it to the target. Uh, at Vegas. Yeah. Are you counting? Lico. Uh, yeah, Lico. Bodie. Bodie, who it's both Lico and Bodie won. Who was the third? Was it uh, Sergio? Sergio. So Sergio was able to hit an X on every shot he took in Vegas until he had a release failure um, yeah. on the penultimate end. And some will say, well, that's a shot. I'm going to say it's a scored arrow, but it's not a shot. He did not shoot that. No, he did not. Um, he did not execute a shot. He loaded the arrow, started to draw back, and had it pop off of the string and unfortunately skittered down past the three-meter line. So you can say that he drilled the X-ring on every shot he got to take. In yeah. Vegas. I, uh, you know, he... He mentioned that in, in his, yeah, you got a feel for the guy, you know, oh, yeah. he mentioned that in, in his write up on, you know, his review and man, it was heartbreaking. Uh, yeah. I, and, and not immediately evident to me, Steve, or at the time you were doing the television commentary and I was doing the arena announcement. No, I was just sitting there. <laughs> I, well, I was but most watching. of us weren't watching Sergio because it, right. he wasn't yet up. Right. Exactly. And, and none of us had our attention on what was going on. I was, yeah. I had my, I had my eyeball in a Zeiss scope looking at the targets. And so I didn't see what happened and it took me a moment. I had to stand up to be able to see because of my angle to see that arrow lying on the, you know, just past the three meter line. And then I realized what yeah. must have happened. Uh, but boy, that was probably the most heartbreaking thing I'd seen in Vegas in years. Um, Cause of all people, yeah. I mean, Sergio did not deserve to go out like that. That was, you know, we see a lot and, and of this, you know, like, not uh, to take anything, but I, I need to say this, not to take anything away from the winners at all. No. Right. But that was, uh, yeah. Sergio is one of the good people in our sport and nobody wanted to see something like that happen. Yeah. And it, you know, it's a very good chance that the results still played out as it would have, you don't know, but sure. Um, you know, felt to me like Bodie was winning that tournament, but just the whole thing, like we see people miss their last arrow for a 900 and you just feel, feel bad for them. I mean, maybe certain people, if you really don't like them, you're laughing at them, but I always feel bad for them. Yeah. Uh, I, I have missed in the last end for a 900 and that sucks, but the nightmare of the, there's guys who joke, you know, they say, Oh, you know, I, I really don't want to shoot a nine in the shootout. Off, I would be embarrassed. And it's like, well, here's something even worse. You're rolling along in the shoot off pumping X's and you have an equipment failure. You know, that's, that's a true nightmare. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I'm not sure most people wouldn't be as, as classy could be as classy. Yeah. As Sergio in hand stepped off the line, obviously disappointed and but didn't just, pitch a fit, didn't do anything other than stand there as a professional and make way for the other people to focus on what they were doing. Yep, exactly. He said, all right. And, you know, there was some confusion with the clock and whatnot, but um, that all worked out. It worked out. No one, no one missed that in because of it. You know, he didn't cause 
he didn't cause a scene. Like I probably would have caused a scene. Most you know, people someone, probably. Someone may have faltered because I'm back there. It, I broke their concentration. So yeah. that's just, you know. Yeah. Sergio handled that. I'll, I'll put it this way. Uh, there is nobody that wasn't proud of how Sergio handled that from the sponsor side and from the friend side. You know, everybody right. was, wow, what a classy guy. Proved it again. Yep. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. Well, you know, the purpose of today's show uh, is to follow through on answering some questions from our listeners. So a few weeks ago, we had mentioned that we were going to do a show like this and ask us anything type segment. And we got a bunch of great questions from around the world. And we're going to pick a few of those. And Gary has agreed that everybody who gets a question answered on this segment, Steve, is going to get their choice of any Easton Arrow product. Which what? is a pretty, pretty generous thing. That's... Uh... They need to create a new GL, I guess, because I don't have the budget for that. That's right. But Gary says, <laughs> Gary says it's good to go. <laughs> I'm, we'll, edit, we'll edit this too. <laughs> no, I'll leave this in. This is funny. Uh, <laughs> we're, all right. Someone's paying for it. Not me. Yeah, you're not. But Gary's budget apparently is different than yours. Although Let's yours clarify. comes out. Of That's a dozen arrow shafts. So go ahead and pick your X10s. Well, and, that's, uh, I, I made it very clear to Gary that that does that include X10s, Gary? He's like, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not giving away tongues and points, though. No, no, no. I said arrows. 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 Folks are on the hook for their own components. Yeah. They, can go to Rob, they can go to their local pro shop or to Rob for those. There you go. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know. Somebody, you know, somebody will probably order a dozen jazz arrows. You never know. Someone, yeah, they'll be like, just give me some maxes. I need some hunting arrows. Okay. There you go. So anyway, there we go. We have uh, a dozen Easton arrows of whatever model on the line for these questions. And the questions are being picked semi-randomly. Meaning that you and I didn't discuss which questions we're picking. Okay. But I'm, I'm going to start with the first question we got, which is from frequent listener and commenter, fellow by the name of Jeff Jenkins. Jeff says- I like Jeff Jenkins, so- I, Jeff, I, haven't met, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting him. I've met him. Now he's getting some free X10s. Or, or jazz, whatever he orders, man. He could order some vectors. Just because, look, Steve, just because X10s are on the list doesn't mean that Jeff Jenkins is an X10 kind of guy. I'll he get might Jeff order Jenkins some free X10s. He might want some FMJ Autumn Orange. Yeah, I'm sure I'll be getting Jeff Jenkins some free X10s. All right, here's his question. Quote, I'd like to hear your thoughts on if, how, different carbon weaves affect arrow recovery. I hear various manufacturers stating that their arrows recover faster because of the carbon weave they use versus other manufacturers. What's the science data behind this? Okay, so Jeff, you know, Easton actually created a woven carbon arrow shaft more than 20 years ago and uh, tested it pretty thoroughly. And we did it again uh, about 12 years ago or so uh, with some improvements in materials. And what we found is two things. One, they do not recover faster. Nothing recovers faster 
than unidirectional carbon fiber. Unidirectional carbon fiber puts all the stiffness in the axial um, uh, direction, meaning along the line of the arrow shaft. And woven shafts do two things to reduce that. One, a lot of the stiffness is added to the radial, that is the going around the shaft. And also, because of the weaving process in the material, you further decrease the stiffness. Plus, these things need a higher resin ratio so as not to take themselves apart when flexing. Because think of a basket weave. When you flex a basket weave, the fibers on top, the ones that run 90 degrees, those are actually stretching and pulling themselves over the ones underneath. So what can happen over time is the bonds, uh, that is the adhesive bonds between those materials can break down with long-term flexing. As a result, those woven arrow shafts that are currently on the market that quite frankly, Easton chose not to go to market with, uh, do not have the lifespan and do not actually recover faster than arrows that are made with primarily unidirectional materials, things like Easton's Superdrive series or Easton's AC arrows. And so that aspect of it is not really true. Now, what woven shafts do for you is it does decrease some of the cost of building the arrow shaft because it is easier to get all the materials to line up, but it is not superior from the standpoint of shaft recovery or factors along those lines and not as durable in long-term use. So let's assume maybe maybe Jeff was referring to uh, like a unidirectional, like different makeups and layups of unidirectional. Now there are some of those that would, yes, recover faster, right? Yeah, but the ones that have most of the material dedicated to the axial direction. That is along the length of the arrow shaft. So they're not so, twisted. They're, they're just straight carbon fiber, just like an AC arrow. All AC arrows have this in principle. 100% of the carbon fiber in an AC arrow is completely axial, which means it's functioning as it's meant to function as carbon fiber. It's not there for hoop strength. That's what the aluminum core is for. It's there strictly for efficiency in the long axis. So when you say hoop strength, that's like if I were to set up a hula hoop and stand it on edge. And push and on stand it. Stand on it. Push on it. Right. Yeah, it would squat right. to an oval, right? Correct. So if you were to take a large diameter arrow shaft and step on it, if it were to crush under your step, that would be a failure in hoop strength. Okay, right? I got you. Mm -hmm. Or if you were to shoot an arrow into really, really stiff stramet, you know, which is pretty common in Europe, and the arrow were to become damaged from impacting the stramet by crushing the arrow, as can happen with some arrows, that's another failure of hoop strength. With an AC arrow, you're getting 100% of the carbon fiber is working in the purpose of carbon fiber in an arrow, which is to make it as stiff and light as possible that is the most efficiency. Whereas you have the resilient aluminum core bonded to that carbon, providing for that hoop strength and also really accurate component installation. So hopefully that helps a little bit with that. Yeah, people I hope we're taking notes, very important. Next question comes from Dr. James Park in Australia. And Jim Park is asking, 
Uh, I would be interested in your comments on standards for arrow parameters such as straightness, spine, and mass. I've measured a lot of arrows from various manufacturers, and it is quite apparent that they do not all use the same standards. Some sound good, but in reality, go nowhere near meeting their stated specifications. Easton is generally better than specification in my experience. Well, I'll, I'll start out, Steve, by pointing out that um, there are industry standards for some of these things, and there are not any industry standards for some of the others. There are industry standards for straightness and for spine. There is no industry standard for mass. Um, I happen to have written the industry standard for straightness and for spine, so I can speak to this on some level. Um, but the, the bottom line is that there was a need identified by the ATA at the time, the AMO, uh, for standardization because they recognized that some companies that were advertising crazy straightness tolerances were basing those things on unrealistic test criteria. For example, if I tell you that I have an arrow shaft that is accurate to one ten thousandths of an inch in straightness, but I don't tell you that I measured that over a four inch span, how useful is that to you? So that's the kind of thing. That's the um, kind of thing. Useful. Yeah, not useful. So that's the kind of thing that the goal of having an ASTM standard. Now, back in those days, Norb Mullaney, a famous uh, archery writer and engineer uh, and a, a true expert, um, one of the real legends of our sport. And, you know, I'm sorry that he passed away a few years ago, but Norb was certainly one of the most experienced engineers in archery uh, when it came to things like bows and arrows and how they interacted. There was probably no one quite as scholarly about it as Norb um, with the potential of somebody like Jim Park, you know, uh, taking up that mantle. But uh, to Jim's point, there is a specification. It's an ASTM specification. That is a documented specification that provides for members of the industry and academia to review, to help to improve, and it comes up for review every few years. So it has a formal industry slash academia oversight process. The straightness standard. Straightness standard is based on the fact that most arrows are longer than 28 inches. So the straightness standard is based upon a 28 inch section of an arrow shaft. Now what Easton does to go beyond that specification is Easton measures arrows pretty much at full length in all of its processes. That is, if you get a arrow shaft from Easton and it calls out a 3000 straightness, that 3000 supplies to the entire arrow, not just a 28 inch span of that arrow. And certainly not to a even shorter span of that arrow, which is one of the factors that drove the industry to seek a specification, you know, a standard for that purpose. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. Um, and I've been a lot of a part of a lot of, uh, you know, our internal internal continuous improvement programs and seeing how this stuff works. And it's kind of, kind of fun. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of a headache because 
there's certain parts of these specifications that people really get hung up on that make it hard for a manufacturer, truthfully, and yeah. aren't that important in the real world. Yeah, and, uh, and in fact, the next part of this is one we can talk about a little bit. I will say, you know, as somebody who worked on aero development for Easton for nearly 30 years, that I always held out spine consistency from shaft to shaft as one of the most important characteristics. But one thing you got to keep in mind, Steve, is that I came at this as a recurve shooter. And as a compound shooter yourself, I think you might agree that you can get away with a little more variation shaft to shaft in terms of spine. So long as the spine is equal all the way around the arrow uh, circumference, that is, it doesn't have a stiff side or a weak side. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the spine is one thing I, I'm leaning more towards like the weight, like people really get hung up on weighing every component of their arrow. And one, if you have quality arrows, they're going to be weighted already. Right. So they're going to have some weight matching to them. Um, something like, uh, you know, an X10 is going to have weight matching from dozen to dozen, which is cool. Um, that's tough to do internally because we're, you know, if you see an X10 380, we're building X10 380s and then sorting into five categories, you know, and that means there's five part numbers. You got people all over the world wanting a specific weight category. And, and sometimes when you make them, you just don't get it out of the, the rock carbon, you know, right? It just doesn't come through. But people who like are hyper about weight matching their arrows to within a 10th of a grain and things like that. And then they don't really know how much glue they put on the veins and <laughs> all this stuff. Um, you know, and I'm like, I don't even bother weight sorting. I just shoot the arrows, right? And I'm group tuning the arrows and uh, never really had problems because I'm using quality arrows and quality components, but it's uh, there's a lot of people who give themselves headaches and want to float stuff in bathtubs and like, man, just at the end of the day, build the arrows. There's other variables that can ruin all of what you're looking at doing anyways. That you know, seem I, unmeasurable. Before I started working for Easton, I used to do that exact same thing. I'd buy a couple dozen ACEs and I would weigh them to a 10th of a grain. And after a few years of more experience, I just stopped doing that. If they were within a couple of grains, because you know what I recognized was that there was no difference within a couple grains, or really look at it as a percentage of the overall mass of the arrow, because the heavier the arrow, the more you can get away with, right? Mm -hmm. If your whole arrow weighs a hundred grains and it's off by two grains, that's 2%. But if your entire arrow weighs 360 grains put together, which is a pretty common weight for a man's recurve arrow. Uh, and that same two grains, that's a much lower percentage. And it turns out that you can get away with murder uh, within reason when you're talking about grain weight. Um, you know, plus or minus two grains is plenty for anybody at any level with a recurve bow. And you'd be hard challenged to see the difference with a compound bow at even 90 meters. So since you don't get to shoot 90 meters with a compound, and since, you know, even in recurve, we don't get to shoot 90 meters much anymore, um, those differences are even less important. Now, I'm not saying that um, 
you shouldn't weigh your arrows and make sure that uh, you haven't got a gross error, right? You probably should at least check that. Or you can take Steve's approach, and, and that later became my approach, which was just go out there and shoot them and see if they group. And if they group, don't think about it too much more. There is another right. factor, though. Um, when you're shooting into, and, and this doesn't matter which manufacturer, if you're shooting a carbon arrow into anybody's carbon arrow, into the really, really hard European target materials like Stramit, or as you sometimes see um, in coastal Australia, the sheep wool, sort of the raw sheep wool bales that are shot, those things get a certain amount of dirt in them. That will actually wear carbon off the outside of your arrows. And I've seen, for example, Simon Fairweather with a set of arrows that have been shot so extensively that you could actually see just a hint of the aluminum core through the carbon on some of his arrows. And yet, you know, the guy was out there winning world championships with those things. The key was he was rotating his arrows. So they all got an equal amount of wear over time. And as a result, he didn't see any deviation. Does that make sense? Yes, very interesting too. So I, I personally, I like rotating all my arrows. I don't save them for tournaments and practice. Mind you, I'm shooting into much more reasonable target materials these days. But you know, for people who are stuck shooting into European Stramit, rotating your arrows is not a bad idea, you know, just to kind of even out the wear. It's like owning more than one pair of shoes. If you own one single pair of shoes, you'll wear them out in X amount of time. But if you own two pair of shoes, it's X times three for the most part. Mm. Makes sense if you don't think about it. No, it, it exactly. So, <laughs> like so many things, Steve, like so many things. Okay, next uh, question comes from, let me find it here. I had it a moment ago. I hate it when you're scrolling through Facebook and it jumps to a new topic. Do you ever see that problem? I, I, I kind of uh, hate Facebook in general. We need to come up with something better. Colton yeah, Curtis. Well, I, Colton I has this. I'm yeah. not into the social media much anymore. I'm playing. It's yeah. a necessary thing, but. Yeah, it is. I mean, you're, you're semi, you got one foot in the marketing world, right? Kind of. Yeah. It's. And with social media, very important. You have to have to think about it. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's kind of a necessary evil. Would be one way to put it. Necessary evil. That's the only way to put it. Colton Curtis asks this question. With the X-27 being the gold standard for indoor arrows, I was surprised at the amount of Superdrive 27s being shot at Lancaster. And I would interject and also at Vegas. Curious on the guy's input on why that might be. Benefits to either shaft and the difference in setups between the two to get similar results? So it's a very good question. Yeah, it is. Um, here's, here's my personal opinion. This is, my, this is my testing, right? And I have shot these both for years. Um, my testing indicated that it was a little easier to get a very good shooting, a very good shooting setup with aluminum arrows. Uh, you could throw a lot of different point weights at it. You, you know, could cut it kind of, leave it a little long, you could cut it shorter. 
they all seem to work pretty good. And then I can fine tune from there to get it very good. And I've never had a problem with them. I've, they've always been very reliable to me. I will mess with the carbons, the super drives once in a while. 27, super drive 27, I think is a very good arrow. Um, and that we, we went from the full bore 350, which was just too weak of a spine. You can't have that weak of a spine on a carbon arrow that big. They, they don't, they don't hold up well. They do you not have a real, well. real, real thin wall to make it work. Yeah. Um, you know, if people think you're going to bend an aluminum, go shoot a weak spine carbon arrow and you will, it will shift. It shifts every shot. So that's my experience at least. Anyhow, um, the 270 super drive, completely different construction than that full bore 350, completely different build. Uh, not overly stiff like some of the other 27 carbons on the market, but stiff enough to make a, a very stout arrow. More finicky to point weight for me um, and more finicky to bad shots. You know, if I, I've told, I've told, you have know, spoken on this a lot. When I'm trying to judge how a setup is shooting, I do it oftentimes off of what I felt, where I felt the arrow should land. And I'm very honest with myself. So I go, oh, you know, that's probably, that wasn't that great. I was moving a little left when I shot it. It was probably half shaft Vegas 10. And if I look and it's half shaft Vegas 10, I've probably got a pretty good setup. It's doing what I expect it to do. And it's giving me what I've earned. Um, people will use the term forgiveness. And they'll imply that somehow the arrow, they'll be like, oh, I broke that. I was in nine when I broke it. And I still shot a 10. No, you weren't. You may have thought, thought you were in the nine. You were moving back to the 10. By the time you broke it, you were in the 10, right? Or by the time that thing cleared the bow, you were aimed in the 10. And there, there's no such thing as an arrow that can magically find the center when you were aiming it out of the center. If there was, those things would randomly not shoot center when you are aiming center. And that would be really bad. We'd all be pissed off about that. So I judge an arrow by, did it hit? where I thought it was supposed to hit when I made a poor shot. And I always felt like the more critical of the two arrows for me were super drives. That being said, if I was making really good shots, like, you know, uh, Vegas winner type Bodie Turner, just sitting there making good shots all day, the super drive 27 would probably shoot a tighter group. Now you're talking X ring to X ring. So it's, you know, a minimal, minimal difference of, one is shooting, uh, you know, one hole that's a little bit larger than one that shoots one hole that's a little bit smaller. So I almost immeasurable difference, certainly immeasurable to me as a person. But, you know, guys will find that, hey, these carbons, they roll. They really roll. And some guys do not experience the same thing that I experienced. And they might experience that with the aluminums, whereas they feel like they're Bad shots were worse. So when I'm looking at a game like Vegas, I know I've got a setup that'll shoot the X-ring. I know I've got a setup that'll routinely over and over pound the X-ring. And if I had a shooting machine or if I was a shooting machine, it would do it all day long. Um, I'm trying to eliminate the big error. So I want the one that misses best. <laughs> and for me, that was aluminums. For other guys, you know, they might test and find something different or they might just feel like that arrow that, 
pounds middle so well is the one to go with, even if the, the risk of a miss is bigger. They're betting on themselves making good shots, which is probably the right thing to do. Um, but I, you know, I'm a realist in, in archery for myself. So, uh, you're starting to see more of that carbon cause it's a good arrow and guys are discovering it's a good arrow and they're figuring out a length and point weight setup that really works for them. So, you know, we tried it for Linda, very short draw. Um, well not very short, but you know, relatively, yeah, 27 Relative inch draw, 27 inch draw, like 53 pounds of draw weight. It's way too stiff of an arrow for her but it's light enough that she can shoot it and shoot it decently compared to like an aluminum 27. So we were shooting a pretty light point and cutting it pretty short. It was an extremely stiff arrow. Um, her, she found the same thing. Like she's like, man, I shoot a lot of X's and a lot of inside out X's. But when I miss, it's like a guaranteed nine, like nothing's catching 10 line. So that for her was her findings were the same as mine. Again, it's something everybody's going to test and tune and find something different. It's nice to have the option of both because you'll find one of those two is going to be ideal for you. Yeah. You know, Lancaster came up as the uh, topic on that question, but if you look at the European indoor championship that just took place in Slovenia this past weekend, Ella Gibson of Great Britain won along with Mike Schlusser of Netherlands both of them shooting X7 aluminum. So for them, this particular question has been answered in the favor of aluminum. You look at somebody like Sergio, who to your point earlier, was one of the only people to have shot an X on every shot he released at the Vegas shoot uh, deliberately. Awesome. <laughs> you know, he shot super drives. Right, which he's always been a carbon guy. Right, exactly. And, and that was to my point that I was going to mention. And I think the part of it is uh, personal confidence and preference in the arrow shaft. Some people uh, feel more confident shooting aluminum. Some people feel more confident shooting carbon. And sometimes that can count for as much as any other performance parameter. Yeah. Your confidence, it absolutely does count, you know, very much so. So not everyone's going to feel the same way about everything. Um, and I guarantee whatever you're more confident in, you're going to shoot better. Sure. You know, I, I personally have always favored carbon arrows for just about everything, but I used to shoot aluminum arrows indoors at a reasonably high level. I've, I've podiumed at Vegas in the past and, you know, shot scores that were, you know, 295 ish with a recurve, which back in the day was not a bad score today. Wouldn't get you anywhere, but back then it was not bad. And, you know, it was easier for me to score high with an aluminum arrow, but I still preferred shooting my outdoor carbon arrows indoors for various reasons. Uh, not the least of which was the shot reaction, you know, um, just how it felt to shoot those. And so you might say, well, that's irrational. You should shoot what gives you the highest score every time. But my general performances with carbon arrows were better overall over the long term, strictly because I think of that mental aspect of it. Hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, if you're not super confident in your equipment, it's going to, it's going to get you in the long run or yeah. when it counts, you know, 
Yeah. You can, and especially in a game like Vegas, that's zero sum. Um, you can shoot really well. <laughs> My highest X count to this day is with, uh, with a carbon 27 with a super drive 27 and my highest X count for 90 arrows at Vegas. And it was an 899, you know? So that's a zero sum game. I'd rather shoot 978 X's and, and get to the shoot off and give myself a chance than shoot 899 with, you know, 80 plus. So right, right. that's, that's kind of where I stood with it. Um, but like you said, in the long run, that's the long run for me. Like, yeah, maybe I didn't quite shoot as well as tight it. And it's, there's so many variables there. It's, I'm not going to say it was entirely the arrows, but in my personal belief, you know, that was representative of the situation at the time. I shot the carbons really well, but that one poor shot was going to miss the, the 10 instead of hitting the, instead of catching that 10. So, yeah. Hey, the uh, new ranking list just came out from World Archery. Top man in the world is uh, Easton shooter Mike Schlusser. Top woman in the world right now for compound is uh, Easton shooter Sarah Lopez. Top man for recurve in the world as of this week is Brady Ellison, a whopping 35 points above second place, Mete Gadzos. And the top recurve woman in the world continues to be and San with Deepika Kumari behind her by uh, only about five points. So um, that is an interesting uh, development this week. Also, the European Championship took place in Slovenia, as I mentioned, Steve, and uh, great results for Team Easton on that. Really good stuff. Yeah, it, it uh, looked like all the premier categories were won with, by Easton shooters. So Yeah, total sweep, including the new barebow category, which was contested for the first time at a European indoor. And so uh, that, that went really well from that perspective. A uh, couple of those barebow shooters, the, the women's barebow from Italy had two, er two points down in nine arrows, which is pretty darned impressive even for a sighted bow, but amazing for barebow. Really good stuff. Interestingly, both barebow shooters, uh, the gentleman from Sweden and the lady from Italy, were shooting ACEs which to this day continues to be super popular in barebow in Europe. Probably because yeah. of the ease of ease of tuning. It's kind of the, it's kind of the arrow. So, well, it's just easy to tune. And um, I mean, for barebow, right? Cause barebow has got some unusual, shall we say tuning requirements. And uh, I mean, you're, you're basically shooting a different tune for every distance you shoot outdoors and uh, indoors. It's a little easier to manage. Um, really popular. Bear bow arrow, interestingly enough. Hey, um, moving on. Back I to heard, social media stuff. Yeah. I heard you are getting a new passport or renouncing. Well, that's, the, that's the, the rumor. The rumor is that I'm Japanese now, according to Facebook. Did you see that? I, I think Facebook might be right. I don't really know, but. No, no, no. I mean, you know, I know a few recipes and I can speak a little of the language, but I'm certainly not Japanese. You're I'll, like this song. You're turning Japanese. No, or you not. used to be. I have a lot of friends in Japan, as you know. And uh, in fact, um, they've sort of adopted me. I actually have a Japanese name when I'm in Japan. What is it? I'm not saying. What does it mean? I'm not sure. Huh. I'm not saying it's kind of a cool name. I'm not saying. 